Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel, and we're going to be talking about the ninth configuration. Uh, this is a 1980 film, a psychological drama, uh, written and directed by William Peter Blatty, the person who wrote in, uh, The Exorcist. Uh, the, the basic synopsis of the movie is the first half of the film uh, is kind of like a comic farce, and the second half is much darker, and it's basically set in a um, experimental insane asylum in a castle in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and the the main character is character uh, named Kane, uh, who arrives there as the uh, as the new psychiatrist. And there's another important character um, named Cutshaw, who's a, an astronaut who's there as a patient. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more to the story than that, but that's the basics of it. Um, and it's also a really weird movie. It's not easy to just sort of, it, it doesn't really fit neatly into movie categories, I think. So uh, both of you guys have seen this for the first time. I'm curious what your reactions are. Don't hold back. If you hated it, say. If you liked it, say. I'm just curious what your response to the movie was. God, I didn't I didn't hate it. Um, I did actually quite enjoy it. it um it's certainly, I think you're right. It's hard to categorize. It asks some very challenging questions. Um, it um, it has really intriguing and very human characters. Uh, there's a scene where a guy goes completely ape on a bunch of bikers. Like they're in like a, a Clint Eastwood movie. And they, he just like decimates these dudes. So like, you know, that made me fall in love with it right there. You know how I love mindless violence. So it's it's a fascinating film. Uh, it kind of it, it has a lot, and it's it's challenging in fascinating ways. So I, I think I liked this movie quite a bit, actually. So Adam, what about you? What was your reaction? Yeah, I it I I definitely liked the movie. I I love weird movies of the kind you can only possibly get in the seventies, or in this case, nineteen eighty, which is still really the seventies. It's. Yeah, I mean, it, this is definitely not a movie for everybody, but I found it pretty fascinating. And honestly, I haven't formed my opinion fully. This is like one of those movies <laughs> where when you get done with it, yeah, it's like, yeah. now I'm going to start thinking about this movie. It's like, I just watched this movie this afternoon, and I have not had enough time to digest this movie. Let the conversation begin. That yeah. is the correct reaction, Adam, because uh, <laughs> so number one, this movie is is part of what's called the Trilogy of Faith. And so William Peter Blatty, he wrote The Exorcist. Obviously, there's The Exorcist 2, which is pretty much agreed upon a horrible movie by most people. It has yeah. its defenders, but most people soundtrack's do not like it. Soundtrack's good. Good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this movie is not connected plot wise with the exception of the astronaut potent like and that's not even like you Relevant, william peter yeah. blatty had to explain that that's the same character the astronaut that's told he's going to die is the astronaut in this but so this is like the second in a in a trilogy of faith themed stories that ends with legion and so the books are the exorcist uh the ninth configuration which was originally Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane, and then he rewrote it after he wrote The Exorcist, and I think he kind of brought themes together more. And then Legion, which was The Exorcist 3 in the theater. So there, you can watch them all as movies, or you can watch the, um, you know, you can read the books. 
Now, I read the book first. I, I forget how I found out about this. I don't know if Rob recommended it to me or Matt or if I just saw it somewhere. But I, I was like, ooh, William Peter Blatty did a, a really interesting looking movie. And so uh, I, some months ago I saw it and, and or I was going to see it. And then I, re- I read the book first because I realized the book was only like 170 pages. And oh, the wow, book, that's really cool. but, but the thing is, I read the book and I'm like, I don't know if I like this at all because I feel like I'm like all that dialogue in the beginning, in the opening sequence, that's all in the book and there's more of it. And it's even more confusing because you don't know the the rhythm of it. You don't know any of the cadences or like the, you know, you just like some of the lines I was reading completely wrong compared to how they were done in the movie, for example. Do you know what I mean? And so it just made you feel insane while you were reading it, which I think made sense. Um, But then once once I got into the book, then I really started to like it. And then, you know, I saw the movie after the book and I had more preparation for what the story was. And I just I just thought it was a really fascinating film. I really enjoyed it. Um, But a really weird movie for sure. Like uh, um, and it's one of these movies that I found. I've watched it a number of times now and it just gets better and better every time I see it because I notice more of the connective tissue it makes more sense. More of the jokes are a little like some of the jokes are not obvious because they fly by you. Like there's like a weird, weird line here. Some of them are like my stethoscope is a pretty obvious one, but (laughs) some of them you don't quite pick up on right away. So yeah, I I, were parts. I I put it back because I was like, wait, what was that line? And and it's it's a very zippy movie in a lot of places. Yeah. It had a real mash vibe to it in those scenes too. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, it's like the who's the character who was always in a dress and mash. It's like a movie built around Clinger. twelve of those Clinger. It's like it's like yeah. it's a Clinger, and they made a movie around a bunch of Clinger characters. And that's basically the premise, because the premise is because Clinger was faking, right? Like his whole thing was he yeah. was trying to get out of the war, and, yeah. and 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 that's what this is about. They're all here because they think that they're faking, and they just have really high IQs, and they want to sort out who's faking and who's not. And that's kind of that's kind of the uh, mystery of the movie in a way is figuring out who's really insane and who's faking. And, you know, and obviously it's not dealing with mental illness in like a, it's not like this is a character study of what it's like to have schizophrenia or something. It's much more extravagant and humorous, but because the premise is a lot of these guys are faking, it actually kind of makes sense. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, what were, what were some of the, um, I guess, what, what should we talk about first about the movie? What's like the biggest thing that that would be useful to discuss? Oh, God, it's hard to, it's really hard to find a starting place in this movie. The, the movie is smart enough to open up with a lot of comedy and make yeah. the characters mm-hmm. very likable right away. I think that's probably mm-hmm. a strength of the movie. And it's, it's comedic almost through the whole thing. And then it really only turns dark in like the last third or so about when they yeah. get to the bar it was gets unapproachably dark um, it's also yeah. just the cast and acting in this is just fantastic like oh, everyone in this is really yeah. good so it, it's, oh yeah just it's ridiculous as ridiculous as a lot of things in this movie are that just <laughs> the performances alone just carry you through it i mean so stacy stacy keach plays vincent kane and he's incredible in that oh, role yeah. um yeah. uh scott yeah. wilson who's like Abraham from The Walking Dead. That's where people would recognize him. Uh, he plays Cutshaw. And who is it? Like, uh, uh, there were some big names. Robert Loja is in it. Uh, yeah. Jason Miller is in it. The guy who played um, Father Dreyer, Dyer is um, 
in Exorcist Three is in this. You always want to call him Dreyer. Yeah, it's it's, but 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 there's a lot. You know, the the performances are definitely really good. Down to like the bikers. The bikers are even fascinating (laughs) performances. Um, Yeah. That's a good way to put but, it. They they are fascinating because they 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 kind of rise beyond that Mad Max level, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were definitely well, funny personalities. Ad, Adam had mentioned that this is like a '70s movie, which it definitely is, but it's got like one foot in the '80s, like not like <laughs> yep. not American Werewolf in London level in the '80s, where that is like definitely a forward looking. But but there's like trace DNA here of. <laughs> things that I know we saw a lot of in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Like the like I feel like stuff that shows up in police academy movies and things like that is is evident in, in this film. Um but but yeah I don't know the uh that's better. I'm sorry Joel were you gonna say something? No no I just I turned the background that my kids turned on off and so I can actually see my house behind me. Oh it's like oh thank God that's better. But yeah, uh, but yeah Oh, go ahead. I was reminded of a lot of 80s stuff with this movie. Like, but it, you're right. It, it felt like a precursor kind of thing. You know, the, the bike scene is one of them. Like I said, it had like a dirty hairy kind of vibe, which yeah, which straddles the 70s and 80s. Yeah, so, yeah. There you same go. same so thing. Good. Yeah, so, I mean, and plus it it being it me saying it's very 70s, the fact it is 1980, that means all the elements of the 70s have happened and are available to this movie. So that's what allows it. To be the fact that it yeah. does have one foot in the eighties. <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way, that's the the eighties is kind of like the fruit of the seventies in some ways. Um, <laughs> the seventies, the seventies, with, with yeah. fascinating with, with some of the episode. with the grit, with the grit kind of removed, and this movie still has the grit. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think um, I don't know. I, I I think that we should probably maybe start by talking about the big theme that Joel had mentioned, because he said that's sort of the inescapable thing. And I think once we deal with that, that we can kind of deal with spoiler related material that's important. Yeah, um, we're going to so, get into spoiler. And I would like to mention before we get into spoiling this movie, this is worth a watch and it, it's better if it's surprising. Um, yeah. So if you're, if you're interested, this is a good time to turn it off and go watch the movie. It's not a yeah. huge investment of your time and it will definitely enrich you. So go do that. You yeah. cretins. And so, I mean, the core the core of the movie is this debate between Cutshaw and between Kane, where it's about the you know whether God exists or not. And Cutshaw is is an astronaut who basically doesn't want to go into space because he's afraid of dying alone. And so he is he keeps going back to Kane to debate him on the existence of God, but he makes really convincing arguments against the existence of god and i find that interesting because obviously william peter blatty is religious um you know this is part of a series of movies where he's you know maybe grappling with questions that he has about religion uh but it seems like to me at least it struck me as a real steel man kind of case where most of the debate was kane kind of being at a loss to answer cutshaw's uh points until obviously the end where William Peter Blatty wants to, uh, you know, win over Cutshaw, and he's the author, so he can do it. But I was curious. Yeah. Uh, but I was curious because you guys obviously come from a very different point of view than I do on that stuff. So I was curious how you felt about that particular aspect of the movie. I, I thought the apologetics were pretty on point. I mean, like, because they do go through apologetics talking points, especially Christian apologetics, yeah. pretty conversant with. 
um, and they 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 lay a lot out. And I found it to be wonderfully specific, but also kind of reductively specific. Where they were like, yeah. "It's proof of God if someone would be selfless unto death." Dude. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that proves anything at all. <laughs> yeah, and I should <laughs> not, say not in, in the, the book. Divine. In the book, they get more involved because they obviously have more room. For, like the those discussions are kind of you're kind of sitting in them more, right? So yeah, in yeah. A movie like for a movie, at one point he says they're almost lethargically and like like he doesn't have the energy to do it. He says, you know, there are arguments from reason, right? And that just covers like a whole swath of of <laughs> arguments that he might make. Um, he just he doesn't, but they're there. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go look him up you know, on or, Wikipedia, guys. Or he says, you know, you know, he says, like, well, you know, the, you know, the original sin, you know, maybe it's genetic. You know, he doesn't really get to, you know, it's it's mostly my impression was it was mostly cut shaw kind of mostly what we're getting are his reactions to those arguments. I think because mm -hmm. they assume you know, once they say that, they assume you know what arguments being made, maybe. Right. And they they specify the ones they want to deal with within the movie itself. You know, and they do a really good job of dealing with them in the movie itself. Like they they set up their premise and they 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 base their apologetics on this kind of like you have to live the philosophical counterpoint idea yeah. and they follow through with that. And that's good storytelling and poor apologetics. But it's uh, yeah, as someone that's not particularly religious, it's like like that. I do agree with you. It did not. The argument didn't carry through for me. But on the other hand, the movie really works yes. because the point is, it's whether you have faith in God or just faith in humanity or just, you know, faith in getting through the day, it's the kind of sacrifice his making is inspirational on a lot of levels. You know, it, you don't need to have the belief in God thing for the emotional weight of this story to carry through in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Um, and also I think, I think part of the point is to present the apologetics weekly so that Kane is the one kind of not able to contend with Cutshaw's mm -hmm. points. Cause like Cutshaw, Cutshaw's big argument, like he makes a bunch of them, but the big one he makes is the argument from evil. And then when Kane is about to say, well, you know, human suffering, blah, blah, blah. Cutshaw's just like, well, what about animals? Like, okay, you have tons of answers for people. Like, you can say it ennobles people, but does tur does does suffering, you know, is does that ennoble a turkey? Like, you know, yeah. like I forget the exact phrasing, but you know, that's a really good counter argument to yeah. to, the, to that uh, <laughs> to that point. And and uh, Kane doesn't really have a response to it either. It's it's you know, I think that's the point where he says it might be genetic, right? Like, he's got this vague mm -hmm. sense that. Something in the something in the distant past of our primordial history is what resulted in all of this suffering in uh you know in the world. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. I was very interested in it because my reading of it is this to me read like a writer who is himself having a lot of doubts, probably, and having a lot of yeah, uh, you know, like and so uh, it seemed like an exercise. And okay, well, I'm gonna force myself to experience all of the most like the strongest arguments from the other side kind of a thing um and he kind of puts it into that cut shot character 
Um, well, in Cutshaw, you like Cutshaw as a character. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's really yeah. charming. Like, he's not just this screed of like anti divinity. Like, he makes good well, arguments that are persuasive because yeah. they're intelligent, well formed arguments. You know, he wants little... he wants he wants to lose the argument. He's not arguing in bad. Yes. Yeah. Just like poo poo religion, blah blah, your dumb god thing. Or That's just, a great he, point. He 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 does want he does want to lose the argument, which makes a huge difference. Well, it's a really interesting motivation because for him, because again, like he's supposedly the character from The Exorcist, where she comes downstairs and pees on the floor and says, "You're gonna yeah. die up there." Which yeah. I mean, when you think of that, is this, it is a cool backstory for the character. But his big thing is he's afraid of going up there and dying alone in space. And if there's no yeah. God, it's like you're really alone. And I think that's a that's a. I don't know. I feel kind of the same way. Like, like it would definitely be a lot worse if you're up there and you die and there is no God. So I, it just, I don't know, it just feels more lonely and more terrifying somehow. Um, so I, I thought it was an interesting motivation. And I think Adam's right. I think he wanted to lose the argument because it's, it's clear that he's like, he used to have some kind of belief and that the belief is God. But also all of his arguments, I think one of the reasons why he's likable is all of his arguments against God, they're all grounded in compassion. They're all grounded in things that you like. You know yeah. I mean? like, like, yeah. you know, he's 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 angry at God because there's so much suffering in the world. So it's it's relatable. He's not he's not just there kind of, you know, uh, just crapping on a concept because he doesn't like it for some reason. He has like no legitimate beefs him, with it. And it's causing him pain. It's not like he's yeah. just copying this you know pose it's uh it's a genuine issue for him so yeah there is a i think you you make a really good point there right when you say that he's angry at god for the suffering (laughs) i think that i think yeah at the core of this man he cries out for faith and he has something like faith or a need that's fulfilled by faith so there is something kind of disingenuine about the intellectual element of him because he's not being purely scientific about this. This, this is no, he's not. He's not been betrayed by his father. You know that that's the kind of vibe that he gives off. Whereas with me, I just it doesn't make any sense. So it's a very different kind of uh, way of approaching it. Um, and I think maybe because I actually have like I have a sincere atheist perspective. Like I don't even like I'd be fine if there was a god. There just isn't one, as far as I can tell, um, at mm-hmm. all. I have no reason to believe in one, and it just seems like we have to figure out other reasons to live our lives and then find yeah. other good reasons to live and die. Uh, so like he doesn't have that though. He, he desperately wants there to be a God because of how lonesome he is without one. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, no. And, and he, I mean, he clearly, he clearly believes in a God in so, at some level, it seems like he's not, um, I don't think he's an atheist. I think he's somebody who is, is disappointed in God. He believes in God and he is, rejecting god um and he's also maybe and and i think there is an element of you know he wants god he wants god to step in and confirm that he exists so that yeah yeah Yeah, that's i think what he's looking for i think i think i think what he's afraid of is going up there and finding out there's no god i think that's the 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 thing that he's worried about so he needs some sign that god exists and you know and so cain has to you know like cain is basically like cain is like a weird jesus figure in the movie because he's this murderer like a like a proper like ki- like like a like a trained killer who you know you know we, we see hints of throughout the movie and then 
you know, his his like crucifixion happens in this line. It's it's like the it's it's almost like that SNL sketch the, the when they did like the uh, Jesus Unchained parody of Django. <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 a little bit like that, you know, but. But it works in the context of the movie, and it's not, you know, it's not as extravagant as the SNL parody. But, but I mean, he's clearly a Jesus figure down to when he's getting taken down the stairs, and the, you know, he looks like Jesus off the cross. Um, well, yeah, and but, there's an element of of selfless, what they call a gothic sacrifice in him that he doesn't really, he doesn't kill because he likes killing. You know, he's just doing his job. He happens to, yeah. it happens to be a horrible job. And whenever he he unleashes it, like he's kind of putting himself beyond the the chance of any salvation, you know, uh, because like going and and this is going into pretty deep spoiler territory. So again, please go watch this movie. It's it's clearly worth your time. Uh, but like, whenever he goes to the uh, the extremely experimental extent in San Asylum, he's had a break with himself. He's had a yeah. he. He's disassociated and he's made this other identity for himself and he feels like it's his brother in a, in a very like a uh, Cain and Abel kind of way. Yeah. It's done all these horrible things and he can't forgive that part of himself. And so yeah, his name is Cain, right? <laughs> his name is even Cain. I mean, like they do the imagery and everything, but like whenever he gets to the point where he actually has to embrace that part of himself and admit to himself, he's this, this reprehensible monster that he can't forgive. That's an even deeper sacrifice than dying. He almost dies as an afterthought. The sacrifice was in was in embracing this this monstrous element of himself to save his friend because yeah. nothing else yeah. is going to do it. And that was the real sacrifice. That was the element of it. That was the miracle yeah. that he was looking for. Yeah. And it is yeah. pretty miraculous. Um, and it I, it works. And it, like you guys are saying, it works in an emotional way because this is a guy who wants to believe in God and is looking for a miracle to give him not the excuse that that diminishes it, but to to show him that there's some confirmation for his faith, you know. And that was it. He sees the the humanizing element, and that's that's what makes this guy a Christ figure, even though he's horrifically violent. Oh my God, the the way he kills people is stomach churning. That's great. So let's talk about King. He is a very interesting character. So number one, like, like again, spoilers, but but like what we find out is like he is he, he's not the psychiatrist. He's this this guy who's basically a patient in the asylum. That's sort of the the premise. And they're just kind of allowing him to do this weird experimental thing to see if he, you know, jostles any of the people. And also the the actual psychiatrist is his brother. Um and he's kind of masquerading as his brother. So it's really, con this movie is very disorienting. But his backstory is- It is very disorienting. You even have the fake doctor who meets him at the beginning too, that, just to yeah. add another layer of confusion. And that was, that was William Peter Blatty, by the way, in that yeah. role. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and that's one of the, and I was surprised how good the performance was too. And that, just cause, it, but, but yeah, that, and that's the effect of reading the book. You don't know, like half the time you're like, wait, who is this character? What's go? Everything is disorienting. And, and, mm -hmm. um, but he, he, he was a, like a Marine who was trained to, you know, do like commando missions in Vietnam. And he ends up killing a boy cutting his head off and like the head still speaks to him and he's just completely lost it at that point. And he's like filled with deep guilt and he comes back, um, you know, obviously messed up. And so this is, uh, you know, his way of working through it. And, 
and but you see hints you see hints of how dangerous he is like there's a like groper at one point is arguing with him about the guy with the sledgehammer <laughs> and you just see this look in groper's eye like he recognizes something in kane that's menacing and then later yeah. when they're doing the great escape and the the staff are all dressed up as nazis and he's wearing like the he's got like a nazi band on his on his jacket and everything and he gives this speech which is it's this weird juxt like di- I don't know what you contrast where he's speaking like Hitler. He's like getting enraged. His face is filled with fury. He looks like just scary as, as all hell, but he's talking about compassion. And it's a, it's a really interesting scene. Um, God, this movie is so fascinating. Yeah. And then, and then we get the, and that's kind of like the, the real hint of what's to come in the fight, but you know, finale of the film where, he just goes ape shit on the bikers, and it's like a, it's like a seventies exploitation level of violence in the movie. Like you were saying like Dirty Harry, like yeah, it's uh, a shocking level of violence, even from a, a guy that made The Exorcist. Yeah, it's it's brutal. What I love too is we we always comment on like what variation of Chekhov's gun is in a movie, and this one has Chekhov's grip, where he grips the guy's hammer, the, the guy that's trying to smash <laughs> the atoms in the wall. And he says, yeah. you have a very, very, very strong grip. And then later, sure enough, <laughs> he uses that grip to, to... I did not pick up on <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah that, that, the Adam smashing guy was... Re- I found that guy really amusing. I, yeah. I also have to imagine it's got some connection to Hiroshima or something like that. But, you, you know, but, you know, he because his whole thing was he... He's multiple personality. One of his personalities is a scientist who believes that he can walk through walls and he tries to, he, you know, he tries to run through the wall and it doesn't work. So he gets mad at the atoms and he starts smashing them with a hammer so that the next time they'll, you know, they'll be afraid. They'll behave. They'll, yeah. yeah, they'll behave. They'll allow the That's where the idea for Buckaroo Bonsai came from. But That was it, a great scene of Buckaroo Bonsai for the record. <laughs> What a weird movie that was, too. Yeah, <laughs> on the topic of weird movies. <laughs> Another one that's worth your time. Um, yeah. The, I, I think there was something about the some comment on scientific reductionism of the universe there, where it's like you can't even see the wall because you're too busy obsessing over the atoms. I think there was something. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, because I, 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 I kept thinking of Hiroshima only because at one point, when he says there are arguments from reason, he says, well, what are the, what's that? Are those the things that we tell ourselves when we drop bombs on Hiroshima? So I, yeah. I don't know. I made that connection to the, to that section, but I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, cause he's, I, I think, so if you watch the exorcist, so Jason Miller is in this movie, number one, he does an outstanding job, but in the exorcist, he's the priest and the priest is obviously a stand in for William Peter Blatty, in my opinion. And his whole thing is he's this priest who is trained in psychology. And because he's trained in psychology and he knows that a lot of the symptoms of things like exorcism or just mental illness, it it creates like a God of the gaps type, uh, you know, crisis of faith for him where he doesn't really believe anymore because he understands that a lot of these things that he formerly might have attributed to supernatural things are, are perfectly scientific explanations. And so I do wonder if that's also at play in this movie. Um, I mean, it might, you know, connect to your point about, you know, the atoms in the wall and everything. 
but but I just found that scene kind of funny more than anything else because the guy's so intense and he's smashing it and he says what's his line he says um uh it was really funny he says I'm Dr. Franz von Pauli I am convinced we can walk through walls not just me anyone cops people people in Nashville <laughs> you just, just the, the, Nashville. The, yeah, the, the writing is really good um, yeah it is and so he says, I am punishing the atoms. I am making an example of them, an object lesson. So when the other atoms see me, know what's coming, they'll let me pass through. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was basically what he said. I used to um, do that with dice when they wouldn't roll really well. I have a lot less it, dice as a result. But you're not like trying to run through a wall. To, you know, you're, you're the worst I, thing I just want to roll see. 20s, man. Yeah. That's... Does it work? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me feel better. So it works enough. But I think I think what a lot of those kind of scenes got me thinking and a lot of the dialogue is that this is a very Quentin Tarantino. I mean, obviously, this is before Quentin Tarantino, but well, I really this, have to wonder how this had to be something. Was. Yeah, it's stuff like this is what influenced Tarantino. Like, yeah. And he did like the the hyper version of this where it's almost yeah. parodic, you know, it's, it's yeah. cranked so far up. But like this, this is these are the seeds that got planted in his young little mind that turned into mm -hmm. stuff like Pulp Fiction. Because well, I was thinking of the Cutshaw scenes and like, I could picture Samuel L. Jackson doing that character. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, that, yeah. like the way he was talking and just the kinds of phrases and the, um, but, uh, but also the other character I really liked is the Jason Miller character who um, is, he's, he's, he's trying to do a Hamlet with dogs. He's trying to do Shakespeare with dogs as the actors. And, and he's, basically obsessing about this the whole time but i mean there's there's relevant plot reasons why his character's ideas about hamlet are important to the movie where he you know he, he's having an argument with the dog playing hamlet and he has this theory that hamlet isn't you know that hamlet is pretending to be insane but that if he didn't pretend to be insane he would actually go insane and he yeah that, that was an important tells this theory yeah, this movie's well, good seems to be the, the ridiculous parts that actually pay off in a serious way later in the movie. Well, I yeah, think no, gonna, definitely. It's a headspace to question, to, to really think about things in the way that the people in this insane asylum think about them, you know, to actually yeah. evaluate their ideas. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this I mean, movie it, gives itself time because not not a whole lot really happens in this movie from a plot perspective but it has a lot of time for these ideas just to kind of unfold between characters yeah it lets them I mean, breathe, it's really too. like all just taking place in the in that um you know in that castle and mm -hmm. a lot of it is just like scenes of like uh kane kind of just looking drugged and reacting to something Cutshaw is saying, right? So, well, a lot of a lot of scenes are like begin with Kane's office door opens and then someone weird comes in. Yeah. Know? It's yeah, it's yeah. almost got like a sitcom kind of like he's like, you know, like like you said, like a mash type of vibe where um but it's filmed weird. Like it's funny, but uh, but the filming style is kind of serious and ominous and but yeah. It, the the eye hangs back enough, like it's hesitating to get close to the characters. Um, mm. I, I don't want to, like, and I don't want to draw a parallel uh, between this and The Shining, but like The Shining does that too. 
You know, uh, Kubrick had this thing where he knew that the camera was was supposed to be the emotions in a lot of ways of the audience. Um, and so, like, where the camera is in relation to the the other characters matters emotionally for you as a viewer. And I always felt like I was hesitating. Like, I was, like, not really sure about getting too close to these guys. It's very... Anytime there's a close-up, it feels sweaty and uncomfortable. Like, there's, like, yeah. staring right yeah. at you in a small, claustrophobic yeah. room. But otherwise, you're, like, pretty far away from them. Just kind of, like, quietly judging them in this sort of unease that suffuses the early half of the movie it's an interesting uh, contrast to the comedy actually i really liked it it's a good effect yeah i know i would agree i think the other thing this movie does well too is it it, if when you watch it again you see that there's a lot of subtle things that are where you know the reveals are all indicated by prior behavior of the characters oh yeah foreshadowing is brilliant yeah so yeah, like I can kind of tell that looking back, but I, I am looking forward to watching this again, just because for, for the first half of this movie, you really don't know what's, I mean, a lot of the things that are happening in this movie are a mystery to you. So well, you're not really certain what the movie is well, and it's so supposed dis- to be about. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and there's so many distractions in the movie too. Cause yes. you have like yeah. Robert Loja who thinks he's on Venus and that uh-huh. that 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 he's being imprisoned by Venusians who are trying to get into his mind, and you know, he, and he wants his flying belt and all this. And, you know, just like all. So you just have all these characters going in all these weird directions that that do kind of connect to everything thematically at some point, like Adam was saying. But at first, you're just like, why is this going on? Why does this guy have no pants? I remember when I read the book, I was like, why does this guy not have pants? And it was really bothering me. And in the movie, it really bothers you because. He's wearing no pants for the whole time, but it connects to the 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 fake doctor character, Dr. Fromm, um, you know, who stole his pants so he could pretend to be the doctor. Um, so, yeah, I don't. Oh, go, go ahead, Joel. I just. Yeah. I, and the fact that there's a guy that they're letting pretend to be a doctor and also there's a guy that they're not really letting, but he's still pretending to be a doctor contrasting with the doctor it's so it's wonderfully layered and and like i don't want to say it's not focused this movie is laser focused about what it's actually about which is the journey these characters are on but as far as subject matter you're it's it's completely eclectic like you're saying they're just constantly interrupted by these other totally different things that are going on constantly throughout the movie like there's one point uh who was the the sergeant that all the love letters that he that were sent out that was groper yeah, yeah, Groper. And, like, he starts getting them on the phone. Like, he's like, well, I, I invited some of the pretty ones over. And you're just like, what is going on in this movie? They're, they're ugly, sir. And that's what he's upset about. Is that yeah, he's ugly? upset. That that's what's so funny about Groper is he, he's, 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 number one, he's, like, such a, he's obviously such a sleazy character. It's in the name. You know, it's it's even in the face of the character, of the actor. They cho- you know, like, clearly, they're trying they, to indicate something. He's a great actor yeah. for that part. Um, yeah. But in that scene, it all crystallizes where you kind of realize, oh, okay, he's kind yes. of a creep and he's pissed off that they weren't pretty, but he, he's not really that mad about the letter itself. It's the, uh, oh, God. yeah, that's, that scene was really fun. I mean, there's a lot of very funny, well-constructed scenes in the movie. Um, what about the bikers? We kind of glossed over them, but the bikers were really interesting. I well, we need kinda... to get back to the bikers um, because like, the movie delves into their psychology, which was a fascinating choice. It's rare that a movie, any movie, will will go to the the lengths of human like 
showing the humanity of what are ultimately antagonists, especially with characters that have a role that's so antagonistic. Like you're only yeah. supposed to hate them, right? But you sort of feel sorry for them because it's clear there's a lot going on with them. Like they're, they've got their own psychological malfunction. And it's more or less by chance that all of these different these different broken people happen to coalesce. So there's a lot of I don't want to say there's pathos for them. I don't think I like I do pity them, but I don't feel like there's any catharsis uh, for them. Like I, there's no there's no sense of any in ill justice being done whenever they start getting massacred like pigs. Um, but I, I, I mean, do, they're committing the most horrible crime you can commit when they get, when they get, yeah, killed. no, it's, they, it's like they, a, they don't only want to kill them. They want to like humiliate them first. And it's, it's revolting. Yeah. But again, there's too many like close ups of their faces and like the, the yeah. facial, the, like the, the, the expressions that they give and the way they kind of interact and the weird power dynamic between them. Like you see a lot of their humanity, which is a yeah. weird and bold choice. I think, especially again, considering they get slaughtered like pigs. Oh yeah, my they get, God. They do get slaughtered. Um, they get gutted, dude. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think, I think the, they're interesting. I mean, I, it's also, I think the gang is called the chain gang. If I remember, I think that's what it says in the back of their jacket, but I think it's also interesting that, they're probably kind of like stand-ins for the Hell's Angels, and that's I think thematically appropriate for the movie. Um, yeah, yeah, they're the demons, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So I like I like the idea that this is like because that's what it feels like. It's like he's wandered into a den of demons, and you know, uh, and 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 it's it's just in the book is uh, pretty much the same. I mean, there's just some minor differences, but that's basically, if I recall, what happens in the book. Everything down to like the you know you know, don't take my beach ball, man, type of a, you know, all the stuff yeah. that's going on. Um, but just, I don't know, just the way he kills them, too, is just so, uh, well, so the, over the top. Yeah, and the um, switch flips. And it. What, what's really alarming about that scene to me is that after, after he starts going bonkers and he starts killing these guys, you realize that he's been fighting this the whole movie. Yeah. Like yeah. he's been doing yeah. everything he can. Like it's this like Herculean, like doomed struggle to not turn into this guy again. And it's it's such an it's it's a moment of like agony to watch him actually fall into it. Like you can see it on his face where like like everything he wanted to be is like bleeding out of it, and there's just this like raw killing instinct behind it. Fantastic acting. The guy is, uh, transports you when you watch it. Uh, but it's hard to watch, though. Just from every perspective, it's just this miserable scene. It's it's pretty fun. I mean, like, again, it's got a dirty, hairy thing going on. But like, yeah, um, it's it's a really complicated scene because my my emotions were really conflicted. It's like you know yeah. that it's just it's just killing him to have to do that. But on the other hand, you do get that movie rush of yeah. It's just yeah. at the same yeah. time, I'm feeling both those things, and it's just like, oh. At least you're feeling kind of nauseous on balance. Yeah, there you go. And just yeah. Well, and it's just the tension, like that's the tension that exists through the whole movie. Like it's yeah. it's it's been it's been percolating from the very beginning, right from the moment that Groper had that like, oh my god, look in his eyes when he you know when he was talking with the guy with the hammer, the 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 the, the sledgehammer. Um, yeah. So I just feel like it's when it when it when it when it uh, explodes in that scene. It's just a, I don't know. It's a, um, 
it's really effective, I think. Um, it is effective. It, it, it's, the, it's the moment where you feel catharsis for the movie, but it's also, yeah. it's also a, a tragic fall from grace. So it's, it's a really powerful scene. Well, it doesn't work unless you see the whole movie. So, well, I guess yeah. that's the question. Is it a fall from grace or is it him coming to terms with his experience? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's complicated because like he, the thing is, you can't really make a clean break from your past just because you're pretending to be someone else. So like, it is like, yeah. it is him coming to terms with it. But it's also him accepting that he's basically damned. You know, yeah. that, that he's something monstrous that he doesn't even want to live with anymore. Again, well, he dies I, after that. And it's just like a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, the question, oh. I mean, you have the question of existence of God, but you have also have the question of existence of evil. And it's like, well, you know, his evil got to do one good thing. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah. I think the so number one, I think in that moment. I don't know, I guess I guess you can say. Is he. Is he damning his soul in that moment in his mind, or is he doing what is necessary in that moment? Do you know what I mean? Like that, I guess, would be the question. Like, because obviously in Vietnam, in the in in at least in the in, incident that we saw the the flashback of, you know, he was killing somebody who was innocent, and so that was the problem there. In this case, he's he's protecting somebody who's about to be, you know, seriously hurt. Um, and probably killed. Yeah, probably killed after we would imagine. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it's likely. And so, yeah, it, uh, it, at the very least, like he's preventing something monstrous from happening by doing something about equally as monstrous when you really get right down to it. So it's, it, it is it's so complicated. Um, I think I don't, I don't even know if he thinks about it. In terms of like salvation or damnation, I, I do think that there's a certain um, a certain grim necessity that's reflected in, in the the actor's portrayal of the character. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's not even so much that he feels that he's damned for it. I mean, it's not like, like even going so far as the Catholic faith, faith like Christ blessed Roman legionnaires marching off to war. It's not about like whether or not you kill people. It's just whether or not you can live with yourself afterwards. And he kind of knows he can't, you know, I think that I think it's more. Well, no, it's, but I think. But but also at a certain point, like you do start to like if you're taking it like just from like the, the, the religious point of view in the movie and this character clearly believes in God. So this would be a legitimate question for him is whether I mean, I, I think a part of what he's grappling with is the idea that he might have damned himself by what he had done. Do you know what I mean? That he, uh, that he might not be in alignment with God anymore. Um, cause I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a mortal sin. What he, you know, I, I mean, or I would say I, 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 I arguably a mortal sin. I don't well, know. It, I, well, the thing is, he didn't, did he, I, did he, did he know that he was killing a kid or did he not? That was, that would be, I think a key issue there. If he, if he knew that he was killing a child or not, um, I, I honestly think he probably killed the kid without realizing that it was okay. essentially innocent. And I still think that, that doesn't remove the monster sense of the act for at least for him. Um, no, but just from a um, from a strictly theological point of view, if he had done it without knowing that it might not make it a mortal sin, it might be less. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a there's three requirements for a mortal sin. And I would think that that would be his big concern. 
um, which is, you know, so that's why I was wondering well, that. The, the reason I, I struggle with that interpretation is because we never see him do anything like a confessional. The closest we get is that's when true. he's dying. Um, when he's dying, he does something like a confessional, but like, yeah. There's not enough. There's not enough ritual to it. There's not enough trapping. You never hear him really talking about mortal sin. Like I think that's a, a reasonable angle, yeah. especially. I mean, again, considering who wrote this, but I think that for him, it's not so much theological. I really think it's more okay more about just the way the sort of emotional element of it, just like, the way he sees himself, type of thing. Yeah, his self concept is that he doesn't want to be the guy he used to be. You know, he sees yeah. that old self as the cane and his current self is more like, you know, not cane. And whenever he really becomes cane again, I think that, I don't, yeah, I think there's a certain loneliness to it. And I think it's interesting that a character can at once be cane from the Cain and Abel story to himself, but also a Christ-like figure to the guy that he saved. And it kind of makes me, it, 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 it's a really interesting balance. You know, it's <laughs> like if you could be Christ and Judas at the same time. It's not yeah. really, it's such a powerful contrast, you know? And, and like, that's like Cain is like one of the first real villains in the Bible. Like he's kind of like, he more or less invented murder. Like that's pretty bad. Um, so it's interesting that there's a character that feels himself so much to associate with. It's even his name, but like, really he doesn't die that way. He dies in a state of grace, having done something good I, I mean it was a horrifically violent way of doing good but he does he does not only save someone but like restores a sense of faith yeah so, yeah yeah and the movie ultimately kind of judges him very kindly it's like hey look man we've all got our cross to bear you had to kill people that's how it goes and uh no and i mean i guess that would get into the vietnam thing too because obviously this movie is very t like these are all vietnam not all but i think most of them are from viet from the vietnam war yeah, um, Cruncher, I suppose he's an astronaut. He might not connection to that. But well, I mean, wasn't he in the Air Force? Wasn't there some connection? I'm there? assuming so, but but I, but it sounded like he his main thing was he was going to be launch launching into space was sort of where he was having the crisis, and everybody else was like seem maybe more Vietnam related. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, well, well, I did say at some point, why would he be pretend to be crazy because he isn't in the war with something yeah. i think someone's yeah, something like that, that some something point. like yeah. yeah like and the and the other guy who was an astronaut it was kind of similar where he was testing uh he was testing planes and the plane yeah. that he was testing it had crashed like 21 times and killed the pilot and when it was his turn he suddenly was crazy so <laughs> but uh it's but a good I, reason to go crazy but I thought, I mean, again, I thought, you know, given this was made in 1980, I thought it was interesting. Like, I, I think I had mentioned this in another podcast, but I had a neighbor who was a Vietnam vet who was, he wasn't anything like Kane, but he had a similar kernel of guilt where he had, he had been firing, a, 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 I don't know, I don't know the terminology, but he was firing somewhere for some reason, and a group of kids ran out in front of him and he killed them. And Oof. this guy was like, and he looked, and he looked kind of like a, you know, like a Ben and Jerry's type at this point. He was like a hippie with the long hair and everything. But all day long, you would watch the Catholic channel and then he'd come out and smoke a cigarette. And I'd, I'd talk to him over the fence. And, uh, and you know, very but very similar. And I, and a lot, I remember encountering a lot of people like that. So I feel like the Kane, the Kane character is obviously more of a Rambo, more cinematic, but it's a very 
sort of believable uh, type of backstory, I think, for, for this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also happen to love the, and this is like a personal thing. I, I don't want, I, I'm not, I'm stepping away from the the heady subject matter for a second. Just to say that I really love the trope of like the guy that's trained to be a super soldier like Rambo. There's something kind of charming about the idea. Sure. Um, yeah, this it's, is kind of in the Jason Bourne vein of things. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he's just such a cut above these dudes that outweigh him by like 70 or more pounds. Like, he's, he's not like a small dude, but he's not big either. And the guys that get to play well, the bikers are like. I had a question about that because he, I, I, I kept going back and forth because the actor had a pretty thick neck, I thought. And he looked kind of big to me in some of those moments. But with movies, it's so hard to tell because all they have to do really is to make, you just never know if somebody's taller than somebody else sometimes. So well, I mean, I, to, to this day, I, I think Elijah Wood is like three foot tall because of the Hobbit movies. So like, it, but he is short, right? <laughs> Elijah Wood's not. Tall. No, he's taller than me. Is he? How tall is Elijah Wood? <laughs> he's like six foot two. He's really, really? Oh my God. I thought he was, I mean, I didn't think he was. <laughs> See, tall, it's, it's I, to everyone. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was like five foot three or something. Do you know what I mean? No, like, no, you know. He's taller than I am. Actually, you know what? I don't know oh, that for okay. a fact. Well, I think, yeah. I'll be thinking about that other actor, the the guy who was uh, Sam, who is very tall, I assume. Oh, he's very tall also? Well, he was also in Goonies, that guy. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy oh, that played what? Sam. Was he in Goonies? Yeah, he, was, he was the main character in Goonies. Yeah. Oh. What was his name? Michael? Mikey? Whatever really? his name was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, God. How did I Same not know guy. That? Same well, guy, because he looks I, very different. Okay, you know, that sounds unbelievable, but the guy who starred in American Psycho uh, was news is in Newsies, so it's Hollywood, man. <laughs> Wasn't he also in Empire of the Sun too? That guy, Christian Bale. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, need to watch The Machinist at some point. By the way, I really like. Oh that one. yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew you were a man of class, Balderstone. Did <laughs> the. Uh... Oh man, but yeah, Stacy Keach, six feet tall. That's how tall he is. Six feet tall. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought he looked pretty. Because the thing is, when I was, here's why I thought he was big. Because when I read the book, I imagined his character because he's introduced as a psychiatrist, and because mm-hmm. of the way he's behaving, I pictured him very skinny and not particularly uh, formidable. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh no, this makes sense. Now I see why he could deal with the bikers. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't like. Um, Who's the main character in um, the, uh, uh, oh God, um, uh, in the Foundation series? Um, oh, Who are you talking the... Never. the? The Isaac Asimov Foundation series. Harry um, Seldon? Uh... Yeah. So in the, in the prelude book, like the last book he wrote for the series, he turned, Harry, he turned Seldon into this martial arts expert. And I just remember always feeling that that felt off. Like there's a scene in that where he, he like he elbows some guy in the solar plexus and does all this weird shit, um, you well, know. And and there's some tiny martial artists who could completely dismember a lot of people. So yeah, but it's just I, it, it, size still matters though. And so like when you have a really small scrawny character, um, especially one like Kane, where he's just a beast the way that he kills people. It, yeah, I it, don't know. I, 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 I was I, happy to see Stacy, you know, what's his name? Stacy Keach as the um yeah. uh as the as the as the as 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 that character. Cause I was picturing 
somebody with more of a Jim Carrey physique or something in the <laughs> in the book. Yeah, and, and Jim um, Carrey doesn't look formidable, is the thing. No, he's no, he's, he's tall, but he's not very like very talented, a... very talented, but no, I don't, you know, not and, and 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 he's probably very athletic too, and would, you know, but I he just doesn't he doesn't feel like a killer when you see him. You know what I mean? He yeah, there's a certain denseness to killers. By the way, I just looked it up. Elijah Wood is five foot six. I'm taller than him. Okay, but, so. but Ian McKellen, who was the enormously <laughs> tall Gandalf, was 5'11". <laughs> so, oh. yeah, moving so on. I was actually pretty close to my yeah, estimation. That, I, the, that was pretty I, good. Yeah. I, th- I, thought he was, I thought he was tall, damn it. How dare you lie to me, Hollywood, in reverse. I mean, he's not that short. I'm 5'7", I'm and so he's like, he'd be an inch shorter than me, but... You know, but I'm not that forget, tall. I always forget that I'm taller than you. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm, I'm five. I'm five foot. I'm five foot seven and a half. If you want to, you know, really we are wanna, measuring the half yeah, inch, sir. Yeah, We're yeah, men. Yeah, We're yeah. going to make sure we. Clear. So I'm five seven and a half. You know, I, I could probably get away with saying five eight, but I won't. You know, I won't try. Um, I'm five eight. I'll get away with it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So just to give people an idea of some of the the dialogue in this movie. So Jason Miller, I think has some of the best deliveries in the film. And, and there's this one scene where, what does he say? Robert Browning had the clap. Do you remember that? that scene? <laughs> I won't, I won't get it, but just that, that whole section is, you know, the, the, um, uh, I don't know. They're, they're just, uh, Oh yeah. I know my rights. I want to see my urologist was another, was another great line. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just it, it's the dialogue is really, really good in this movie. Um, yeah, it's some of the best written dialogue that I've heard in a long time. Uh, it was a joy to listen to. And uh, I mean, which, again, was evident also in Exorcist 3 when we did that, which is the you know, same. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, God, Exorcist 3 has such fantastic writing. But it's because they took a writer's writing and they're just like, OK, right. that's the dialogue. Yeah. And they yeah. found actors that could actually deliver it in a believable way. Yeah. Uh, and and because Vladdy is a good writer who knows how people talk, he was able to do it. Ah, oh, God, so good. Well, you know what? He's like one of these writers that gets just up to the line of being stylistic that if you cross over it just a little bit, it becomes like those, like the, the Quentin Tarantino ep- imitators. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like yep, he two, gets right up to yeah. it. Yeah. But no, yeah, he's like, it's, well, that goes back to the casting, though. The casting for this is perfect for the style he's going for. It was just yeah. this perfect match with their styles and the dialogue. Yeah, because if some of those deliveries had just been more, I don't know, like angry or just shouting and not it didn't have some of the subtlety to them, it wouldn't have worked. Like, what yeah. was the line where he says, read the classics, it's good for the whole respiratory system. And he just looks like this intense... Like he just believes this intensely when he says it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like kind of good advice, except it doesn't really make sense. You know, it's like yeah, well, yeah you should read the classics, I suppose. But, it's great but, advice, except yeah. for the, the notable drawback that it's complete <laughs> yeah. gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. Um, so this movie, uh, I think, I think I'm giving it a thumbs up. Is it a horror yeah. movie? Not really. Um, oh, if anything, I think it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I think it's it's a, it's a redemptive movie. It is like there's some scary stuff in it, but for the most part, this is a drama. I think, and it's it's a very thoughtful and introspective one that I quite enjoyed. 
Um, how would, do we feel I would about say it's like a psychological suspense movie or something? Do you know what I mean? Or psychological drama or something like that. Um, you got to squeeze some psychology in there, do you? You might call it well, a. A theologically philosophical psychodrama. Well, I think I think it's well psychodrama makes sense because I mean the the main character isn't who he thinks he is, which I think is like the definition. Theological thriller. Theological thriller. There you go. Theological thriller. Uh, Yeah, we got to call Exorcist theological horror then. Uh, I think I I think people have taken to calling those kind of movies religious horror. Um, they they kind of are, you know, yeah. like religion is like not with bladdy movies. Religion is more than a subject matter. It's part of the fabric of the film. Well, yeah. I think the difference with a writer like Blatty is, you know, he actually believes this stuff. Like, you yeah. know, it's like the genuinely mm-hmm. these are reflective of his views. So it's not like yeah. he's just using exorcism because he thinks exorcism is interesting cool. or scary or whatever. Um, yeah, the, there's a, a depth to the understanding and, and a. There's there's a passion behind it that like casual lovers of like the subject don't have. If even if you were like a Catholic hobbyist, like you weren't Catholic yeah. but you just loved all of the stuff about Catholicism, you still wouldn't have like because that's like the model train kind of collecting. And yeah, Laddie's a conductor. You know, he lives the train. It's different. Well, the if the I read Legion uh, for for before you know, like I decided, like when I when I. I read the ninth configuration. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go back, reread the exorcist and then I'll read Legion. And then I'm going to watch all the movies again, just so I, in case, and, and it turned out it wasn't really useful for this podcast, but I was like, ah, it might, it might be useful. So, uh, I need to but, listen to our Legion review. I think that I really enjoyed that movie. And I want to hear was a really good movie. It. But what I was going to say is the book actually ends with this weird theory. That's not in the movie about what the original fall is. And, his his whole theory is that that the the that the fall of of Satan is that I forgetting I don't I don't want to I, I don't want to do this injustice but it's something okay. like 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 we're all Satan basically is the idea is like you know so like it tie, it ties up the fall of man with the fall of Satan together into one thing. Um, it's thematically cleaner. So it's well, it's just it's just an interesting well, because there's a lot of parallels like that. Like if you see like um like in the Garden of Eden with the fall and Eve, Mary is sort of like the redemptive Eve. Do you know what I mean? She's like the one who's gonna crush the serpent under her heel. So there's like this weird parallel. And then there's like the parallel of the fall of Satan and then the fall of man. And so you can sort of see where Blatty is going with well, that. And it, there's something about the the eating of the the fruit of the tree of knowledge that kind of makes you it, it puts humankind in the 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 position of attempting to be godlike which is what you know satan yeah. was doing uh, and they both fall from grace as a result as yeah uh, so i i see it and, like it's definitely cleaner than the bible <laughs> bible and i do want to and I do want to say I'm going by memory with Legion, so people should look it up for themselves in case I got his theory wrong, because it's an interesting theory, but I might have, you know, I don't want to do it injustice, like I said. But but the point was just that, like, he's clearly deep into this stuff, um, you know, and so I, just to support what you were saying. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a I would give it two thumbs up, you know, if we're going. I don't know what scale. I, I think that's what you used. So I'll, yeah. I'll go with the thumbs up scale. Thumbs uh, up. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's one thumb up, right? And then it's two if they both 
Yeah, we'd be able to give three yeah. thumbs up. Yeah, we'd be able to get three. So we're superior. We a whole other critic yeah. here. Yeah. So clearly, clearly we're on par with Cheat Siskel and Robert Eater, yeah. some of the most well-known, accomplished, and brilliant film critics ever to live. Well, it's I mean, all about I, the thumbs. It's all about well, right. No, it's yeah. number of yeah, thumbs is more. the only important criteria. <laughs> <laughs> So. The the additive thumb uh, theory of film criticism. <laughs> okay, so one last thing. What do we feel about the magical watch at the end of this movie that he finds? As a, it wasn't as a, a watch. It was a, it was a medallion of St. Christopher. St. Christopher. Oh, okay, okay. The thing that someone probably dropped or something. But no, it was magic. It came from the afterlife. Well, I That's... think given that Blatty is the writer, it's, it's magic. Um, I think, uh, but obviously there's enough there that it, it you know so like because he goes into the castle so somebody could have the driver could have been in on it and put the put the out like you know i don't know the cane sent him a letter and say hey if you drive him here make sure that you know this appears magically one day <laughs> so he wrote a lot of letters when he was dying yeah yeah he he like he <laughs> planted all these seeds before he killed himself um, i'll show you whether yeah. this god or not <laughs> I mean, if, you wrote, if you wrote that letter as a guy trying to make that argument like you don't believe your own argument you know yeah so. no no so i so I so think it's magic in the in the in in the context of the story. I think it's magic. Um, so, so here's my, my here's my question as a guy who just okay. So as a guy who would be completely persuaded that there was a god if he actually witnessed a miracle, how necessary is that miracle for the movie to make its point? Like, does this guy was this guy like on the fence after Christ dies for him? He's like, well, oh, I see what you're maybe. saying. So. I, yeah, I so yeah, because it's almost like you don't need that. Like he's already he's I think in the book he's actually already been to space and back when he comes there and he gets yeah, the that sign anyway. The impression I got yeah. from him, but uh, yeah, so, I agree. I mean, it is it is kind of an extra step on top of what he needed because yeah, he did get the well. Yeah, he, he already got the inspiration. Did did you did you see the the interview with um? There's an interview with Blatty and the director of The Exorcist from like the 90s or something when they were doing a special edition. And Blatty's whole thing is like he never liked the ending cut of the original Exorcist because it doesn't make it totally clear that the devil was defeated. And Friedkin is is sort of he's like more like, no, it's like it's clear people. And if they didn't know, you know, it's it's sort of their own fault for not picking up on it kind of a thing. And so I read the but, book. But but like so like but but it's pretty clear that like Blatty's whole thing is that he really wants people to get the message. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think he and I think yeah, when he makes yeah. movies, he maybe goes a step too far because Friedkin was yeah. Friedkin's rebuttal to him was like, okay, well next time we'll make we'll put you in front of the theater and you can tell everybody on their way out. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my favorite rebuttal to that. Yeah. Ever. I was like, yeah. <laughs> by the way in like the post credit scene <laughs> I wrote this book and helped direct the movie I promise you the good guys won but so so I think I think maybe the the, the medallion of St. Christopher was something like that I, I don't yeah, I mean I don't know I mean clear. I mean it was it also does tie with the whole thing where he said will you give me a sign and he gives yeah, him a sign I so there is that yeah. um, you got a fire Chekhov's gun Could we just have left that one loaded but you know, untouched. Can't we? Can't we have one Chekhov's gun that doesn't fire in this damn movie? No. But I, but I do agree. It would have been sufficient for him to just, you know, all the stuff that happened. You almost also it ends on a freeze frame. 
too. Yeah. Which is really obnoxious. Like, I know that at the time it wasn't as obnoxious because I remember every sitcom in the world ended with like somebody jumping in the air and the frame, the frame, the, the frame freezing. Yeah. So I get <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, yeah. But it really, well. yeah. It, 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 and also the other thing I really did. So the reason I originally read the book was when I first sat down to watch the movie and that music came on, I immediately shut the movie off. Like, like, uh, you know, like, like months ago when I first saw it, I was, I was just like, no, I, I don't like that music at all. And, <laughs> wow, and then I walked action. away and then I was like, no. oh, wait a second. Yeah. I, I, but then I was like, no, I need to get, I saw so, so I was like, I'll read the book first. Um, but, but, but I think my two quibbles of the movie are the introductory music at the beginning and, uh, and the ending I don't necessarily mind the cross of Saint, the, the the medallion of Saint Christopher being there, but I do feel like it ends weirdly, you know, where like like because yeah. he's smiling and it, something about him smiling at the end doesn't feel appropriate to me, given all that's happened. Like it just feels weird. Um, not that it can't end with a joyful ending, just that him being so excited just seemed kind of odd to me. Well. It's exciting if you continue the Christ figure metaphor, you know, because like that's him getting the good news. Like, yeah, yeah, Jesus I... isn't dead. He's in heaven, you know, so it's it's transformative in a way. That's what it's supposed to be, I think. No, it, I, it, I get that. I get, but you're right. It, it betrays the emotional context that does make the movie work. Right. Which is that. Yeah. You know, there's a. Like, it's grim what happens, you know, you, it's, it's sort of miserable, but it's, a, a I guess good my point thing. is you can be joyful and a little wistful at the same time. And that might've played better than yeah. Just exuberant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The air fist pumping. It would have yeah, made it. Yeah. For... Yeah. Jesus. I mean, it was, he would have been doing that, except he was seated in a car and he couldn't, you know, that was the... <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, but, but about other than those two things, I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. So, so yeah, I know. Is there anything else we need to mention about it? I know we've been going on for a while now. It's over an hour. Um, <laughs> What's the judgment of your thumb, Adam? Do you like this movie? Yeah. Oh, definite thumbs up for me. I mean, so, yeah. yeah, it's, it's got its weird flaws here and there. Like, uh, like the ending, but it, it, the things that are good about it far outweigh those. Agreed. Yeah. So th three thumbs up and, and it's and be prepared for weirdness if you do see this movie. Yeah, it's not a normal movie. I think <laughs> even 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 some of like also I think and I I mean it's not really a criticism, but I mean he's a writer before he was a director. He's not a director by trade necessarily. Like he's directing. Like obviously The Exorcist Three is a really good movie. This is a really good movie. But there are moments in the film where I'm like I don't know if I would have made that choice. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, th uh, there's a few yeah, of those. Yeah, I, and I don't know if I want to call them all brilliant. So some of them land a little awkwardly. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely kind of an outsider movie. You can you can tell that he's uh, which which, yeah. which is good and bad in different parts of the movie. Yeah, and 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 to be fair, like none of us are directors either, and I'm sure we would have made similar choices. <laughs> and try, you know, where we think, oh, this is going to convey X, and it doesn't really. Uh, I could I could have done yeah. better. <laughs> well, Bob could have, but the rest of us would have been complete miserable failures. <laughs> All right, I I think we're good with this one. Are we going to do Exorcist at some point? Yeah, Exorcist. I, I guess we have to. No, I reread the Exorcist for this whole thing, so we better we better All be right. doing it. Because, All right. I, um, 
I'm sure I can. You know, you know what I discovered? The only Exorcist that was available was the 40th anniversary version of the novel, and there's really? yeah, and but it's been rewritten. It's he, he pulled like a George Lucas with all of his material, oh, and he yeah, rewrote. Yeah, and and so there's like a dream sequence that was. I was like, wait a second, this was not in. I I know that this was not in the original novel. I remember this not being there, and, and I mean I had read it a long time ago, but I still knew like this just sticks out like a a sore thumb. Um, so that's what we'll talk about that. One. Okay. Well, well no, he did it to tie it more to Legion and to tie, to, to bring those oh, stories that. together. He, it's not, it, it's George Lucas did it in a very bad way. Yeah, William George Peter Blatty did it in, it's, it feels more like a, like a redrafting. Like, like he, it doesn't feel like he, he made it worse. It just feels like, wait, that wasn't there. And I, I almost feel like that text should be in red or something, so I know that it wasn't there. Do you <laughs> what I mean? he dream? He dreams about a unicorn now or something. He dreams about the he dreams about the killer from <laughs> Legion. In, oh, okay. So the character from the third movie, it's like having the character from the third movie intrude into the first movie is what it feels like. Um, yeah, and there are other yeah. things like that in there that are and and but the problem is once you realize that, then you're worried about every little every thing. Little, yeah. yeah, once yeah. they so. betrayed your trust, yeah, you can't treat it like a draft once it's yeah. already become a cultural phenomenon. It's not a draft anymore. It's no longer entirely. That's the problem. If it, yeah, if it wasn't such a big thing, because I I read the old version in high school, so I was just like, well, wait, if this wasn't the version I read. Who am I? <laughs> Who am just kind of like, like that, you know. You can't just, edit my memories, Blatty. Well, not that. Just like it. Just I don't know. It just it made me feel weird reading it. I was like, I really want to be reading the original version. Not and and maybe I'll come back to this one later. But I really want to be reading the original version for for the discussion. So look at us up yawning. It's much so, harder right. for me than you guys. <laughs> So we will we will end it here because Joel is yawning and I am I'm a tired covered all boy. bases. And until next time, we will talk to you later. <laughs>